Hi, my loves. As always, I can't thank you enough for being a continual supporter of the TRP Recovery Podcast. As you know, none of this would be possible without all of you continually coming in every two weeks to listen to a new topic that we have for you um, and your continuous engagement on all the social media platforms that we're on. Um, the support, it just means a lot. It's great to know that you know, it's impacting people, that somebody's out there listening to this. Um, and so it makes the behind the scenes work a lot easier to do when you know that it really is making a difference. So as you know, it is time for the TR shout out. So I wanted to give a special, special shout out this week to Model for Christ, also known as Miss Claudine Seal. And I am Demuse. Um, thank you both of you for always liking the content on Instagram. It means the world to always see your profiles on most of the content that we have on there. We appreciate it so, so much. The support really does mean the world to me. Um, so if you are a supporter and you would love to have a shout out on the TRP Recovery Podcast, you know what to do. Make sure you're following us and giving us a thumbs up, a like, a love, a share, whatever works for you on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Hello, my loves. Welcome to another episode of TRP Recovery. It's your host, Nell Kyle, and today's episode is something that's super important and I'm really happy we're going to be speaking about it. Um, I don't know if any of you kind of follow the news, but a few years back, um, we've seen a couple of headliners where um, unfortunately there were some moms who passed away due to some complications um, after giving birth. And in addition to the heartbreak, it must be for the families who experienced this, what we saw in a lot of those cases were honestly just issues of institutional neglect, um, where a lot of the mothers were complaining about, um, you know, pain or just not feeling right and knowing their bodies and trying to articulate that and not being heard or listened to and um, as a consequence unfortunately they passed away due to a lot of complications so if this is you if you are a mama an expecting mama or you know someone in your life who is expecting a child um, and this is a truly legitimate fear i think this is the right episode for you um, so today we have Odessa Finn who is joining us and Odessa has quite the impressive background. She's been practicing the full scope of midwifery in the state of New York since 2011. She received her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology from Hunter's College and a Master's of Science in Midwifery from SUNY Downstate Medical Center. And she brings both hospital and home birth experience to her clinical midwifery practice. She is also the co-chair of the New York City Midwives and adjunct instructor at NYU Rory Myers College of Nursing. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Miss Odessa as she helps to inform us about mental health and prenatal care. So you know the drill. Sit back, relax. I hope you have your favorite cup of tea with you and let's get started.
Good morning, Odessa. How are you doing this beautiful Saturday morning? Oh, I am so blessed and so excited to be uh, speaking with you and working with the therapy team. Thank you so much, love. I'm so glad that you accepted the offer. Um, this topic is really going to bless so many women. Um, and it's about mental health, especially with prenatal care. And as you know, especially with Black women, there's been a huge spotlight on some of the issues that we've been facing in the healthcare system. And so I know you do amazing work as a midwife and as an adjunct professor and just so many things that you're doing in the community. And I'm excited for the audience to really hear about all of the amazing work that you do. I am excited to share that. And I, I thank you so much for not only spotlighting uh, mental health as it relates to pregnant people, pregnant women, but also um, giving an audience to midwives. Uh, there is a huge, huge confusion. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, as it relates to education of the consumer and the client um, when it comes to the, the types of services that are available, what midwifery care means and what it entails, what doula care means and what that entails. And there's a huge, huge community and confusion, I'll say it. So I appreciate you bringing me on to, to offer something about uh, what midwifery care looks like in the space. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it, but could you give us a quick elevator pitch so that way people can get an idea of everything that you do? Well, excellence is who I have been divinely fashioned to be. Uh, so that is the brand. So I'll just tell you about me. <laughs> if you receive me as speaker, if you receive me as guest lecturer, if you receive me as researcher, if you receive me as coach, as co-chair of New York City Midwives, I am tribal leader. I am the medicine woman. I am the healer and wise woman. And I am midwife, midwife in every evolution and meditation and manifestation of my being. Oh, that is so good. Well, another thing you could add on to that list is helping me craft a really good elevator pitch because that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go and dive into the questions a little bit. So take us through your personal journey and what led you to pursue a calling in reproductive health. I love that you use the word calling because it, it absolutely for me is a calling and a walk. Midwifery um, is uh, touted as a profession, but it's so much more than that to me. Uh, my lived experience in seeking um, adolescent and reproductive health was one arm of the inspiration for me to come into this calling. Um, I remember being a teenager and very vividly uh, talking with my girlfriends about things that we thought were going on in our bodies. And retrospectively, when I look back on those conversations and how wrong we were, Oh, as when I as I came into adolescenthood uh, and young adulthood, I realized we just didn't have the supports and we were afraid to ask. We didn't want to be shamed. We didn't want to be reprimanded. We didn't want to be stigmatized or, or categorized uh, as uh, as young people that are just being fresh or wanting to be sexually active. We were curious about our bodies. And I wanted to, you know, at a very young age, be a support to young girls and young women about their bodies, about relationships, about their emotions, and, and be able to uh, provide that in an, a safe and evidence-based way. So that was one of the inspirations. The other inspiration that I remember all in childhood very vividly was hearing the adults around me speak about 
people who are in challenging relationships. I'm going to back up just for a moment because I'm, you know, you're you're taking me back to my practice days uh, when I served at North Central Bronx uh, as a newer midwife, but knowing very clearly that I wanted to work with adolescents to the days of being the um, director of the adolescent practice there. I took it on from a senior midwife who had moved on to a new uh, position and working with those girls. I remember uh, doing coaching sessions with them. Uh, many of them had had children already. Some of them didn't. Uh, they all came from different walks, different ethnicities, uh, different experiences, different family dynamics. And I remember this one specific session uh, where I talked about uh, just uh, self-image, self-esteem. And what does it mean? What does self-esteem really mean? And I opened the session by playing uh, Beyonce's Pretty Hurts. And one of the lines in that song, it says, we shine the light on whatever's worse. We have a negativity bias. That's just the culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. Perfect is a disease of a nation. Pretty hurts, pretty hurts. It is a disease. It is a pathologic thing to think that you can be perfect outside of how we are perfectly made. So mm-hmm. we are perfectly imperfect. And to be able to embrace those imperfections as a part of who we are and, and, and how we're shaped and fashioned to uh, manifest our gifts in the earth. That's a powerful thing. And after playing that song, uh, we looked at the ways in which that song, you know, uh, perfection, how it shows up in our lives and what it translated to for the young ladies. And it was such a powerful and profound just to hear their lived experiences and their perceptions. Oh, it just blew me away. So doing that kind of work is what I like empowering youth, educating youth, you know, helping them to find their voice. And it's such a crucial time where they're wrestling between being a child and coming into adulthood, what that means and who am I? Uh, so that's so that's one of the things that, that I was impassioned by. But then again, also hearing uh, the adults speak about um, adult women uh, in challenging relationships, sometimes very uh, physically harmful to them. And I always marveled at, well, if this is what's going on with this person and this is how people are talking about them and thinking about them, who is available to help them? Who is available to provide a safe space, non-judgmental, one that is expending expending empathy and compassion and, and trying to seek an understanding. The Bible says, and all thy getting, get an understanding, King Solomon tells us. And that's for a reason, so that we can try to understand the plight. We're not so different when we look at, on, on a deeper granular level, the things that we experience, we're not so different. Uh, the details may be different, but the, the conditions that our humanity uh, experiences, are they're all the same. So those were the things that, that, that uh, brought me to midwifery. And midwifery has uh, birthed me in ways that I couldn't even imagine. So it's, it's more than I even bargained for coming into the profession. Could you expand on that a little bit? You touched on so many different things. And one, I before we continue, I just want to applaud you and give you your flowers for that because I'm just thinking back to like my adolescent years leading up to that and having workshops like that would have been a game changer. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't always, you can't take back what you've gone through and And in some cases, those are the things that make you who you are today. But if I could change some things and what I will change for the future generation is having those conversations a lot earlier. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, I'm curious to know, like, what did it birth in you? Oh, oh, it just it really birthed the knowingness that midwife is more than a clinical knowingness. It's so much uh, of a spiritual knowingness as well and the capacity to really reach people where they are. Being able to, in a, in a culture that elevates medical professions, 
humble ourselves to be, we are vanguards. We are called to stand in the gap for people who cannot stand. And when we can have that uh, in, the, in the African tradition, it's called doggish humility. Just so, just you just completely decrease in who you are to be divinely used in service. That that is what some of that work has worked in me, and 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 then just all of the opportunities that come along with it, uh, with being in purpose is what has been birthed in me time and time again. Servant leadership and guardianship—that is so important. So, as a certified midwife, adjunct instructor at NYU, a co-chair for New York City's Midwives, among other titles like we just talked about, what are some of your concerns about the state of paternal or prenatal care in the U.S.? I love that question. Um, again, because it's coming from such a, a, a different lens. And I, when I say different, I mean that I am coming to this as midwife, but with the perspective that midwifery is a walk. I'm not coming uh, from the perspective of just a strictly clinical lens. Uh, but a huge concern of mine is that in 2022, there are folks who call themselves healer uh, and who are unable to comprehend that racism is a risk factor for severe morbidity and mortality. Now, I'm gonna just say this, hit dogs holler. So if, if this doesn't apply to you, then don't worry about it. But I have a huge concern uh, that lack of acceptance of racial bias and racial discrimination and discriminatory practices causes harm like race should just be a risk factor right alongside uh, BMI, uh, past medical history of chronic dis-ease, yeah, race should just be a risk factor. We've seen enough uh, research and, and literature. And I'd like to talk about a piece here, if you don't mind. Yes. Uh, it's entitled Racial Bias in Pain Assessment and Treatment Recommendations and False Beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites. And this piece of research came out of the University of Virginia and it is in, in 2016. So this is not some far off piece mm -hmm. of research. And it examined racial bias in pain management. Now the pain management critical care domain is an arm of medicine with very well-documented racial disparities. That is unrefuted. Uh, the researchers of this particular piece point out that Black Americans have been and are systemically undertreated for pain when compared with their white counterparts. The investigators looked at whether racial bias uh, or the racial bias that people held was the seat of false beliefs about biological differences between blacks and white. And and things like, and, and I quote, these, these are questions uh, that were um, posed to uh, three different sets of people who participated in the study. One of the questions asked uh, black people, are black people's skin thicker than white people's skin? This is this is the perceptions that these researchers were, were, were seeking to investigate. Now, biological differences become extremely important because the medical complex is seated in this United States in a legacy of racializing uh, or the racialized, racialization of disease through race biology. Uh, and I speak about this as a guest lecturer um, to, to bring it to people's awareness because this text is out there. These books are out there, these, these, the research is out there, uh, but it is about bringing it to the forefront. Mm -hmm. so, so the authors of this particular study that I'm referring to out of the University of Virginia show, showed a series of statements concerning biologic differences between groups described as blacks and whites. Those were the questions that were being posed. The statements were shown to three different groups 
who were who met the research criteria, one of which was being a white person, someone that identified as white that had been uh, recognized in the society as white and or they had no medical training. So you were white and you had no medical training or you were white and you were a medical student of the University of Virginia or you were white and you were a University of Virginia resident. So those were some of the, the criteria for being a participant in this study. Mm-hmm. Now, the research participants were then asked to determine whether statements such as black people's skin is thicker than white, whether they were true or false. So in the example that I decided, black people's skin thicker than white, 58% of the lay public responded true. Black people's skin is thicker than white people. 25 to 42% of the University of Virginia medical students and residents responded true. These are people that are going through medical training to now be turned out into society to take care of people. So you ask what my biggest concern is, that's it right there. We could just pack up right now and go home. Mm -hmm. The people that are taking care of other people have these biases. These biases. And again, this is Genesis energy. Now, you have people like New York State Senator Julia uh, Salazar, uh, and, and who's out of the 18th uh, Senate District, and uh, New York State uh, Senator Gustavo Rivera, who's out of the 33rd Senate District, uh, who is also the chair of the New York State uh, Senate Health Committee, who are spotlighting women's health, reproductive health, things that are barriers to getting safe care, impact things that are impacting morbidity and mortality for Black and Brown and BIPOC people. and. I remember going to a round table uh, in Brooklyn here uh, with Senator Salazar. This was a few years back before the pandemic. And she wanted to know what some of the concerns were from uh, leaders in the obstetric space. And I was really excited to share exactly what we're talking about right now, Mm -hmm. that racism is a risk factor to getting safe and respectful care. And I was so delighted to realize that she was on it. Uh, She had, uh, was working on a bill at that time uh, and the bill has since passed the Senate and the Assembly and is on its way to the governor's desk and requires anti-bias training for every medical student, medical resident, and physician's assistant student in the state. And this piece of accountability is what I really love and, 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 and got me, you know, got my juices going. Mm-hmm. It requires the Department of Health to make an annual report on the implementation and effectiveness of the training. So we got some facts and data. Now, now you'll recall that I, I shared that race biology becomes supremely important in the genesis energy of all of this. So, so let's bring in some history into the equation. Now, this is the part as, as a presenter and a speaker where I tell my participants to get their tea because I'm about to spill some tea. So get your teacups, <laughs> get them ready. I, I love to spill some tea. I love historical tea as, as, as in fact, because what the current state is to uh, the history that uh, that preceded it. So Frederick Hoffman, he was a German migrant who became a statistician for the Prudential Insurance Company. We know Prudential, Prudential's around today. Uh, and, and, and that was in 1891. So this is how far back this goes. He was solicited by Prudential to produce a report that would, and I quote, prove without statistical uh, with, with statistical reliability, so prove with statistical reliability that the American Negro was uninsurable. So Prudential needed to justify the higher life insurance rates that they were charging African-Americans. In addition, 
Kaufman's work was to be a response to the flurry of state legislation banning discrimination against African-Americans. So in, 19, in 1896, Kaufman produced a 330-page article in the very prestigious publications of the American Economic Association entitled The Race, Traits, and Tendencies of the American Negro, where he characterized African-Americans as exceptionally disease-prone. So this type of public instruction becomes the basis for the beliefs held by the University of Virginia study and the people and the participants. And we haven't even brought in the work of the esteemed American writer and medical uh, ethicist uh, Harriet Washington's work, like Medical Apartheid, that offers a detailed, a very detailed account of documented history of medical experimentation on Black Americans in the United States since the middle of the 18th century. So look, just to bring it full back full circle, we have research that demonstrates that lay folks, medically trained practitioners, and actively practicing practitioners hold beliefs that science biologically proves race, which is a construct. And these beliefs increasing uh, will increase exponentially anyone who falls under the construct of Black and put them at risk for morbidity and mortality. When we get this, we can really start moving toward truth reconciliation and restoration for the harm that has been caused and is being caused to, to, to black and brown folks and black people in particular that have to go into the medical complex uh, in any capacity. My God, that is so much to take in. And I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, to add on to that, even the issue of class. Um, I remember growing up and at a time where, you know, right after my parents divorced, you know, funds were tight and going to the doctor and like back then in comparison to now, two different experiences completely. And to add on to race and class, it's just the medical system really has to go through a transformation to really make sure that people are getting the adequate care that they need at an equal level. So. Thank you for all this information. And I would definitely love to read up on some of that information that you shared today. So if you could provide that after the show, I'll also add that in the description. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I'd love to share the wealth of knowledge. And I just want to say, you know, you would think class, but in the research, it even shows that class doesn't have as much of an impact as race. That even we see, look at Serena Williams. I've seen that time and time again, where people are, are telling what they're, look at the woman that was on TikTok, who went for a doctor's note, that woman that was, I believe in Philly, uh, she tried to get a doctor, oh, she got her doctor's note, but she went for a doctor's note and was denied access to the note because the, uh, I believe it was a nurse practitioner. Um, that was one of the reports that I read said that she was a nurse practitioner, examined her and said, well, your cervical exam doesn't want you to be out of work. My, my cervical exam trumps your lived experience and the stress that, that that woman must have experienced as a result of having to do, they call the cops on this woman because the, the nurse practitioner felt threatened. So they call the cops on this woman, she's pregnant. She's in the third trimester. She's trying to get off work because her body is telling her, she's just stating this baby. Her body is telling her that she needs to stop. And this, so, you know, there's a legacy of uh, indentured servitude and, and bondage in this country and people just working, uh, you know, to no end. And, and, you know, whether they're pregnant or not, just being worked to death. Uh, and the idea that this woman is to, to continue. The, the nurse practitioner was asking this woman, well, what did you think when you got pregnant? I worked through all of my pregnancies. 
like really so so you know <laughs> so so again you know even in in class when people are experiencing things and they they are they are black they are brown their experiences are discounted i just cited the research from the university of virginia and that's that's current research thank god thank you please i will definitely read up on that my god so, I mean, we touched on this a little bit, but how likely is it for a new mom, particularly black women, to experience mental duress during pregnancy? Um, and what are some of the underlying factors? And so for this question, I'm thinking more so about specific um, things that we might be predisposed to due to some of the disparities that you mentioned. I love this question as well, because it gets to the heart of some of the manifestations that we see. Uh, you know, traditionally, and even in my midwifery training, when we were taught about the statistics uh, surrounding or the epidemiology uh, uh, related to a specific pathology uh, in pregnancy, we would see it as uh, the, it was kind of the, the cart was before the horse. We would see, oh, black women have uh, more hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. But what was the thing that preceded that? It was the stress. It was, it was, so I wanted to spend a little time, uh, you know, I'm a science geek, so, so <laughs> bring it a little, a little science. To, and, and, and I love doing evidence-based uh, practice and evidence-based talk so people can go back and read for themselves and not just take my word for it. So the weathering hypothesis was first uh, proposed by Arlene Geronimus in 1992. And it holds that um, African-American women uh, in their, their, their health status, that it deteriorates in early adulthood as a result of their cumulative exposure to socioeconomic disadvantage. It is not their socioeconomic dis uh, disadvantage that creates the risk factor. It is the uh, exposure to the things that created the socioeconomic disadvantage. So uh, studies by Geronimus and others have supported this hypothesis for, for some time now. Uh, and, and that's another big problem for me that this, this type of research and this type of conversation is not at the forefront of how to figure out morbidity and mortality for black people. Brooklyn has the highest uh, in the city uh, rates of maternal, maternal morbidity and mortality. So this needs to just be the conversation if we really want to unpack how to the why and how to get to a solution. Now, weathering, uh, as, and in its most recent years has been examined uh, with regards to epigenetics, which has become a very hot topic, but it's been around for decades, decades. Uh, and allostatic load or, or the accumulative burden of chronic stress. This is what allostatic load looks at in, in psychology, the cumulative burden of chronic stress and life events and telomere shortening. Now, Again, I'm, I'm a size fee, I get crazy. Telomeres are a part of our genetic, our, our, um, my, our uh, biochemical makeup. When we look at things and we try to um, gauge scientifically the impacts of different hormone levels uh, in the body or different things and functionalities of the body as it relates to the biochemistry. Mm -hmm. So, so the, what the telomere, telomere uh, looks at is, um, the it's on the it's a portion of the chromosome um, and it consists of our DNA. There have been uh, studies that have demonstrated that the impacts of allostatic load, this chronic stress, have shortened the telomeres. People who were exposed to high levels of allostatic um, load showed shortening. So these are just some of the ways that uh, the impact of racism is being proved out. Uh, in the in the in the literature through scientific research. Wow. So 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 by the time someone is experiencing you, your question was about a first time uh, pregnant person yeah. uh, coming in. 
just coming, I do I do a whole talk. Uh, shout out to the Nurse Family Partnership uh, of New York. They they are one of my clients. I love them. Their their work in the community is phenomenal and and changes uh, outcomes. I talk to them about you know some of the ways that entering the healthcare system alone, if you don't understand how to navigate it, especially if you've migrated from somewhere else and and these systems are new, that can be stressful. If you don't speak English and someone is not willing to use a language line interpreter to help you get your care, that can be stressful. Uh, if you are sharing things about your tradition and it's not being received because it is not a part of the American culture, it is being um, demonized or, or you're being threatened that your baby uh, uh, could have something wrong with it if you use these practices, stressful. If this is all you know <laughs> and it's been working down the generation and someone is now telling you it's wrong, who do you believe? That's a stress. I want to do the right thing for my baby. Do I believe the, the medical complex or do I believe my tradition and, and, and the people that are, you know, supporting me in this journey? So those are some of the ways that, that I see on an, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's unfortunately a, a very common experience uh, uh, for pregnant people having to come in to uh, receive medical care. I don't even know how to follow up with that one. So we're going to go to the next question. <laughs> So for those who are weary, what are some of the misconceptions? And we're talking about safety in comparison to hospital birth and like pricing accessibility. So in regards to home birth as well as some of the benefits. So I really love this question as well, because people, I think, ought to be offered uh, education on the different birthing options. Uh, hospital birthing not being the only option that there are alternative out of hospital birthing experiences that people can have if they, um, if their uh, health history would allow for them to safely do those things. Because there are certainly some people that, that you know, interventions are for a reason. They're not for everything, uh, but they are for a reason. And if people do uh, deserve to have those things available to them so that they have the safest, most satisfying uh, birthing experience, then they should be in a hospital. But if people desire not to come into the hospital, they should also be educated on their options because we see, and, and I, I lectured about this in the spring uh, to a group, um, we see the pendulum swinging. And what does that mean? In the history of maternity care in this country, we saw with the enslaved and, and bondaged people being the caretaker for the community that you know globally the midwife has always been in every community midwife is in the bible midwife is one of the oldest if not the oldest professions there have always been other women helping women do labor birth conception menstrual issues marital issues the midwife like i said is the, is the wise woman of the tribe so midwife is globally embedded in the culture of many nations uh, but here in this united states and bondage people were, were left to take care of their own because they did not qualify for any other type of care. So that has become the tradition now that the midwife is who you call. There's a grand uh, a midwife, uh, Mother Patricia Lofton, who, who was director of midwifery at Harlem Hospital for 30 years and had an esteemed midwifery practice there. She shared with us uh, very recently a story where she went to a nation in, in Africa and she unfortunately cut herself really badly on, on a piece of metal and was just bleeding out. So she made her way to, I believe, a police department or a shop where she was able to, to say, I need help. You know, this thing won't stop bleeding. Uh, called a doctor and they looked at her and they said, um, we don't have a doctor. And she said, well, who do you call when, you know, so I'm bleeding? And they said, we call the midwife. And the midwife came with her bag. She sutured, cleaned, set her up. On the follow-up in the U.S. here, uh, Mother Pat 
suggested that her provider said, wow, this looks really great. Who took care of you? And she said, the midwife. And the midwife wouldn't take her money. So, so, so as we see that being the legacy of midwifery in the U.S. and the stronghold that midwives had in the community just because people trusted them, uh, there being this uh, desire to usurp the care because let's just tell the truth, we live in white patriarchy. And, and the patriarch wants money. Uh, so capitalism became the focus of maternity care. And how can we capitalize this mm -hmm. into a market for us to make some money? And so you see this shift uh, uh, with public health nurses being sent out to the community. Now, public health nurses, I also talk about the, the history of the work they've done. There were babies that were drinking, people were diluting milk. They were doing all kinds of craziness. And the public health nurse was the one that went out into the community and said, oh, no. We need breastfeeding education. We need formula prepare, preparation education. Like people are going to, their kids are going to die. Uh, mm -hmm. So they 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 are also vanguard in the space, but they have been utilized uh, and operationalized historically to usurp the, what is uh, now termed the grand midwife, not the granny midwife, the grand midwife that served communities. The outlawing that you see take place in the history uh, started with now the midwife is dirty. The midwife is illiterate. The midwife doesn't know what she's doing. She's not medically trained. She does not know, you know, she does not have the skills to safely take care of you. Uh, and that didn't work because people, again, they had a stronghold. People knew midwife for, for millennia. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're not going to easily wrestle it away in that way. Uh, so then they become educational requirements. And, and of course, we know the legacy of, of, of education in this country for black people. They were not welcome into many of the programs that were developed to educate yeah. Uh, midwives and license them or give them certification. So uh, that became one of the ways. And then again, this campaign that the that the midwife is dirty. And then uh, it just straight came became illegal uh, if you weren't medically trained to 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 serve in that way in the community. We saw a glorifying or an elevation of the obstetrician and the obstetric practice and the prestige that was associated with uh, giving birth in a hospital. Now, I also talk about this in Trends in Birthing in a lecture that I give, uh, and we see what happened in the hospital. People were getting medications that put them in a twilight sleep. They couldn't remember what was going on, but the things that happened to them, quite barbaric, but still prestige. And we live in a culture where prestige is very important. So we see the transition of people going into the hospital now and fearing home birth fearing birth outside the hospital, but the pendulum swings back the other way in this time that we're living in right now. And we see people fleeing the hospital and wanting to have out of hospital birth experiences. I talk about in a lecture about uh, some of the dynamics that are at play when we look at people birthing outside the hospital. I had two delicious home births with my two sons. Very, very remarkable. I worked in home birth practice for a short, short stint. Uh, I've been mostly a hospital-based midwife, uh, but I know the pleasures of both. And when we see people going into the home birth space, the reason that I say education is so important is because I had a client the other day that was asking me about uh, medication that we use in the hospital and labor to augment labor to help it move along if, if it's kind of stalled mm -hmm. uh, and it's indicated. And she said, well, on TikTok, and I said, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> not TikTok. I said, okay, <laughs> so you're getting information from TikTok. What, what are the sources that this person is using? Well, I don't know. Well, you have, to, you have to be an educated consumer. You have to say, okay, this person is saying this. Let me go to a reliable source and I'd like to share some of that with you uh, to share with your audience. So they have uh, reliable sources to go to to seek information. You should ask questions. You should challenge what is being offered uh, and make sure that it's being explained to you, risk benefits and alternatives in a way that you understand. Absolutely, and go and look it up. But, but if you're getting your information from Facebook, from unlicensed, un unlearned 
uh, you know, it's not to say these people cannot be right. People have their lived experiences, but always still do your own homework is what I encourage people to do. So if people are going to do homework, they need to understand what qualifies me for homework. If I have an eight centimeter uh, fibroid, do I belong in a home birth? If I have a cardiac issue, do I belong in a home birth? You know, what it, it, you know, for me, it's not vaginal birth at all costs, nor is it home birth at all, all costs. If I needed to go to the hospital, there was one time in my uh, first uh, labor course that I had to go to the hospital. I kicked and screamed, but I went with the midwife because I trusted her. Mm-hmm. And she, she saw that things were deviating from normal when we got checked out and we were fine, we left. But we, we have to now not just be so wed to what we have in mind because then it's putting both you and the baby at risk. So I would say for home birth, really, you know, seek out licensed practitioners. Uh, Every state is different. Some states uh, allow for different types of licensure. So just being educated on the types of practitioners that qualify to offer home birth and what are the things that create risk for you to have a poor outcome in a home birth and what, how, how is that managed? Really educating yourself on that before doing that. Something that we see uh, a trend in again with that pendulum swinging to the other extreme is people doing free birth where people going out into nature wanting to just be very holistic and be with nature and be with their bodies and be with their labor and their birth without a medically trained person so it would either be the clients and then their partner or you know a, a support person uh, birthing this this baby in in the woods without a medically trained person or birthing at home uh, i've been the recipients of some transfers of care for people who are trying to free birth and things just kind of went awry so they came into the hospital. So again, we see that pendulum swinging. This, this is without heat or judgment. People get to choose what they wanna do, but they also get to be informed conscious choice makers as the client. So again, if you're going to free birth, is it legal in your state? Because some of these people have had ACS called on them and that's Child Protective Services because now their baby has had a bad outcome and, and, and may not make it or is going to be severely damaged uh, and have severe challenges as it mm-hmm. continues to grow and develop. Uh, because of a choice to uh, do a free birth without getting enough information about what what that all entails and how what the impacts can be for you should things go in a way that you didn't anticipate. We see a lot of people wanting to have lotus bursts where their placenta is uh, not severed from their baby, that it just falls off on its own. That comes with a whole protocol. That comes with a whole, you know, uh, a a ritual that needs to be done with herbs and salt and, you know, to keep uh, things sanitary and safe so that the baby doesn't get an infection. But people, you know, again, uh, fanaticized around the idea of doing something out of the hospital. And, and when this is explained to them, because I, you know, I'm there to support whoever wants to do whatever as long as it's safe. So are you going to do this protocol when you come to the hospital to birth or when you birth with your home birth midwife? Well, that's too much. I don't want to do all that. Well, then you want your baby to get an infection. <laughs> this is what it comes with. So you can do what you want, but be educated about what you're doing and, and make sure that what you're doing is safe. So that's what I would say. Um, I already cited some research and talked about uh, the great Harriet Washington and, and the work that she's done about, you know, just experimentation uh, mm-hmm. on persons of color and black people in this country. So when people, when, you know, people of color don't want uh, vaccines or they don't want to do certain types of medication, you know, again, no heat, no judgment. Let's look yeah. at the history and unpack the why. But yeah. then let's also partner with saying, OK, that did happen. This is what is your clinical picture, your unique situation. How can we work in, in a holistic way that is safe for you and your pregnancy so that you have the best and most satisfying outcome? I think that that's what it becomes a conversation about partnership and education. Quick follow up. Um, in terms of pricing, do you think that or have you seen in your experience, is it pretty much equal to what like a hospital birth would be or less expensive? Is it covered by insurance? That's a very good question. So insurances do cover 
uh, some portions. Um, there may be some out-of-pocket expenses. In terms of the uh, differences in pricing, the hospital, if there are more interventions, if there is anesthesia, if there are different components or elements added to the labor process, it can become more expensive. Thank you so much. And what I love about this talk, it goes into the why. I think our society in general, and you can pick whatever topic you want, we tend to focus on just the manifestations, what we see happening now, but not going back into the past to see what led us there. And then two, to your point about I have such a love-hate relationship with social media. I really do. I love it just because of how you can touch and reach so many people, you know, with a click of a button. But at the same time, you have to do so much validation or just like doing your own research to make sure that the content you're consuming is accurate. And so this is just another example to empower people to really take the time to do their due diligence before trying anything they see online. So I thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And Absolutely. again, um, if anyone is interested um, in pursuing a career to be a midwife, what would you recommend for them? So I'm, I'm going to go back to what you just said about the why. I, you know, nothing pains me more when I hear someone, uh, especially living in Brooklyn, where, again, the, the highest rates of maternal morbidity and mortality for Black people are here. It pains me, uh, nothing pains me more than to hear someone come into this walk because they think it's a fun thing to do, that they, because they think it's a nice thing to do, they think it, because they think it's dope. This, this, this here... Uh, 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 we have a grand midwife in our service, uh, uh, the, the illustrious uh, Hannah Lofman, and, and she says, if you're doing midwifery and it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. Mm. Because when you show up in the space, your heart is going to be broken. When you see things like people being discriminated against, people being stressed out into preterm labor, uh, so preeclampsia with severe features, uh, you know, you see people just the weathering that just takes place day in and day out in their life. Uh, if you're doing true midwifery, you're going to have that lens and, and you're going to be called to action. But it hurts. I would say uh, unpack your why. Mm -hmm. uh, know that this is not for the faint at heart. Know that midwifery is not just catching babies. Mm -hmm. That it is about, again, being a vanguard and, and advocacy mm -hmm. and being willing to stand alone <laughs> sometimes and not hold normal and not toe the line uh, uh, to get in people's face, to tell clients the truth about what is going on uh, with medical care and teach them how to be a wise consumer and to be an advocate for themselves. Well, we had three questions left, but you did a great job at answering it in your other answers. So uh -huh. I would love to hear about your most memorable experience as a midwife so far. That was a, such a phenomenal question. And I've had <laughs> so many glorious experiences. I'm telling you, midwifery has, it has abounded for me. I really, you know, that was, but when I sat with it, when I sat with the question, I would have to say uh, that I was brought to mind that whenever I declare a thing that I am not doing, God and I have this this running inside joke. When I declare <laughs> that I am I am not going to see that that person, I am not going to call up. <laughs> I wind up right in position yep. <laughs> to do the yep. very thing that I declared I wasn't doing. Sort of like when Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And he got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> So, so anyway, one of the things that I declared um, was that I am not going to be, when I came into midwifery, I'm not going to be that midwife that makes her life all about midwifery. Like, I thought that was so boring and like, what is that? You know, people are just being too fanatical. Well, 
God is, <laughs> my God is consistent. <laughs> and he's humbled us. <laughs> he is consistent. And, and I became to realize as I, as I journeyed into midwifery that I was fashioned to midwife, that I was fashioned to be midwife in all things in the natural and in the spiritual, liberating and birthing uh, in, in both places. And when I really got that, uh, I not only became a new creature and, 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 and with a different level of consciousness and boldness for my calling, but I entered into a new dimension. I mothered differently. I midwifed differently. I showed up differently in every area of my life when I got that 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 I am midwife, I'm the essence of it. And and I showed up differently in my consciousness around what this walk uh called midwifery means. Odessa, thank you for blessing us with so much knowledge and affirmation, because I think a lot of us going into these spaces and you have these experiences, sometimes you might think to yourself, am I overthinking it? That can't be possible. No, there's no way. <laughs> but having data prove that this is something that's happening to a good majority of us, if not all of us, you're not overthinking it. So I thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing in the community. And I really hope that everybody listening Take the time, do the research, and understand what your options are. And like Odessa said, if home birthing is not for you, that's okay. But when you do go into uh, a medical facility, understand what your rights are, what questions you should be asking, and vice versa. So I thank you so much for that. Where can people find you? Oh, I will share my, I am at um, Midwife Life Consulting on um, Instagram, on IG. I'm also at Midwife Life Consulting on Facebook. Um, and I'll share, you know, my website, uh, but I can find, be found in those two places primarily. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Well, this comes to one of my favorite parts of the show, which is our gratitude exercise. And so I have all of my guests close their eyes. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine yourself in a space or a place where you feel the most at peace. And it could be anywhere in the world with anyone. And while you're there, you're sipping your favorite beverage and you're just looking back on your life and thinking about all of the things that you've been through and how far God has brought you. Well, I'm going to stop you right there because <laughs> I, I close my eyes and I'm just grateful in this moment to be sitting with you having this very meaningful conversation and all of the work that you have done to serve the community in such a huge capacity, highlighting mental health, highlighting how we show up and how we are able to uh, move to a place of wellness. I would like to offer you the meditation today. Ooh, if that's girl, okay. Girl, <laughs> girl, you got I would like to do script. that. Yes, let's this Saturday morning. Let's do it. All right, all right. So I'm going to close my eyes. Okay. I'm, I'm so confused. Like, should I say the same thing I say to everyone? <laughs> okay, I'm going to close my eyes. Okay. okay. So you're going to close your eyes and you're going to ground yourself. Let your feet go into the floor. Let your spine become erect. Like as if you have a string going from the top of your head down through your spine and you're just uh, comfortably erect. And you just become aware. Just become aware of being aware. Become aware of the flow of your breath 
through your nostrils into your lungs. Relax the shoulders as you blow out, relax the face, release all the tension and the thoughts in the mind and just become present. The kingdom of God is in the present moment. Just become present and enter into the kingdom of God. And as you're breathing and relaxing into that, I want you to, to send some focus, send some mental focus to the sacrum, to the lower part of the spine, to that area in the lower region of the back. That is the place where the root chakra resides. The root chakra is the chakra that is responsible for our safety, uh, for our sense of belonging, for our sense of feeling secure and confident. The root chakra governs that, that area of our lives. So I'd like to offer in a safe space a retreat into the root chakra to know that everything that you need is in the present moment. Everything that you need, you are sent here with. That there's no need for fear or anxiety, no need for attachments to the past or the future, but that the present moment is the place of liberation, the birthing place of who we are in every moment. And just rest in that. Breathing in through your nose and blowing out. Whenever you're ready, slowly, slowly open your eyes. That was so good. That was so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank and thank you for having me. But wait, you ain't getting away that fast, girl. I still need my scripture for oh. a favorite book or a okay. favorite song. Okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. Uh, so I would have to say, I mean, this is my son's favorite scripture. He was in school one day. You know, I, I hold motherhood in, in, in the same regard that I hold midwife. They're like interchangeable for me. And he texted me one day from school and he said, Mom, what's that scripture you always tell me? And it is after you have suffered a while. Jesus. <laughs> after you have suffered a while, I will establish you and make you perfect. <laughs> That is, that is, it is in our suffering that we, that we submit fully to our purpose. It is in our suffering that we relinquish what we had in mind. It is in our suffering that, that we become available to the work of the kingdom and to the work of God. So, so that is, that would have to be my favorite scripture. Odessa, thank you so much, my love. Thank you for letting me participate in my own activity. I love that because that, that never happens. So this is a first. Odessa, you literally just history okay. on here. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, my love. I am thankful for you. And I hope to have you back on again. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Has the Therapy Recovery Podcast helped you in any way? If so, it would mean the world to us if you would consider becoming a supporter. You could do this by going onto the TRP Recovery Instagram profile, click in my bio for the Linktree link, and you can click on become a supporter. And from there, you can select your monthly contribution either at zero ninety nine a month, four ninety nine a month, or nine ninety nine a month. Um, whatever is in your heart to help us continue to share and spread this message. We would love it so much. So as always, you're worthy, you're blessed, you're loved. Thank you so much. We love you and see you next time.